0: Gary, would you pray for a time in the Word?
1: Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the gift that you've given us in the Bible, Father, that we have full access to it, God. And we pray today for those that don't, that you would bring your Word to their remembrance, Father. And I pray, God, that as we have your Word and we are taught your Word, that we would hide your Word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. So, God, I pray that as we come to this time together, God, that we would worship you in spirit and truth, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and we would move forward in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You for your loving kindness, Father. We thank you, God, that you've called us to walk upright in a crooked and wicked perverse generation. Prayed for us, Father, you. You asked that we would be protected by your name. Jesus. No other name, Jesus. Thank you, Father, as we were reminded and we learned on Friday night that you are with us, God with us, Emmanuel. I pray, God, that we would continue to abide in you, Lord God. For we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. So I thank you, Father, for the opportunity yet again to, to gather this morning. To open up the living word. To sit at your feet, Lord. To feast off what you have prepared for us, Father. So we come with pure hearts, renewed minds. And a hunger and a thirst for more of you and of your word that ultimately God our lives would be laid down so Father your life can be lived in and through us so that others Lord will be impacted with truth the truth that would set them free the good news of Jesus the risen son of God so Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Repentance <clears throat> The first star for this year we're looking at today. The action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. First John one nine tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Acts 3, verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance in Joel 2 verse 13. ring your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18 verse 32. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. Through 11, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. The first of three R's that I've been sharing with us since January, repentance, resolve, and to release in hopes that we are growing, maturing as Christians, if we are Christians, if we have been born again, children of God, that oh, how I pray that we know our God and that we are living this new life, this abundant life. Remember, Jesus says it's the thief that comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I've come to give you life and life. And abundance and oh how I pray again we are experiencing the fullness of this new life in Christ as we're maturing, as we're growing. Our goal here on earth is not perfection, we're not perfected until we are with Him, but until then we ought to be maturing, we ought to be growing, growing, and repentance is vital. To a believer's life. I keep reminding us, it's just not a one-time prayer. It's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. And we understand the, the, the fullness of, of, of what comes forth from our life when we repent. When we turn from our wicked, sinful desires and turn to Christ. When the Bible says to throw off the sin that's so easily entangles you. You see, when you are a believer, when you've been born again, your vomit doesn't taste the same. You're disgusted by it. You're not going to continue to turn back to it. You're not going to continue to rely uh, on your own strength to get you through life. Because you have died to yourself. And you've been raised up with Christ. You've been born again the hope and the freedom that comes through Christ when we turn from our wicked, rebellious ways and we turn to Him and we find joy in it. Remember, I keep encouraging us, the Christian life is not a burdensome life. It is a freed life. You're not burdened any longer by the, the passions and the desires that are from within or trying to live up to the standards of the world or the culture, and every or anyone that, that's around you in your life pressuring you to live a certain way. You no know, freedom comes through Christ when you see your need for a Savior. When you recognize that you are a sinner in complete rebellion towards Him. And as I keep encouraging us, we know that there is no error found in God. Error is found in us. We are the created in rebellion towards our Creator. And yet our Creator loves us so much Now we understand the Scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. I encouraged you last week. Do you understand? There's an all-out war for your soul. You are behind enemy lines. As a child of God, again, if you've been born again, you recognize this truth. And so daily you're living hope with your hope in Christ and understanding that hope in Christ will not disappoint you. You understand that you're going to face trials. You're going to go through seasons. Of of despair, you're you're going to face things that may seem like they're crushing you. But child of God, do not grow weary. (laughs) No weapon forged against you is going to prosper. God is faithful. God is just, God is right, and God is good. He will see us through. Do you trust Him? Do you know Him? We've shared many times here before that it's not about religious works. It's not about your church attendance. It's not about how well you pray or you don't pray. It's not about your knowledge of the Word of God. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about your grandmother's faith, your mama's faith, your daddy's faith. It's not about your Christian education. It's not about your tithing. It's not about anything. It's all about Christ. If everything I just mentioned is what you're striving to do to be right with Christ, then you don't get it. You're not born again, you're just religious. When you are born again, when you're in Christ, when you're of Christ, church attendance, tithing, serving, being in the Word, all of that is just fruit that comes forth from a new life. It's not a burden on you, no, you desire it more and more and more as you're growing to know him and as you're established and rooted in him and as you begin to be functioning in the body of christ because again we're talking about the body of christ he is the head we're the body and each of us should be fully functioning members of the body of christ you should be well equipped Your roots should be growing down deep. You should know how you are gifted so that you are contributing. And if you don't know how you're gifted and you aren't contributing, something's wrong. (laughs) Something is wrong. I keep encouraging us. You cannot make the Christian life about you. (laughs) It has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with Christ. And you're seeking Christ, you're seeking to know Him better. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to be your counselor, your comforter, your guide, your teacher. You're among the body of Christ to be encouraged, to edify, and to build up, to serve one another, to love one another. And it's and It's liberating. It's liberating that you have been called into this life in Christ and to walk empowered by Christ, for Christ, to accomplish His purpose. And repentance is vital to a believer's life. It's vital to the church. It's vital that we understand repentance that we understand that we're not just to be a religious person. We're just not to wear a mask pretending like everything's okay when in reality it's not. I believe I shared last week or the week before, it's sad what Christians are going through. And they don't need to go through it when they're hiding an unconfessed sin when they're dealing with with strong temptations and struggles and trying to deal with it on their own, instead of recognizing when Scripture says to drag it out into the darkness, I mean, drag it out into the light, expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. There's a way in which you are called to live, and many people are living in in silence (laughs) because they're afraid of what others are going to say or think, or they're afraid because maybe they did tell another pastor, or another church member, or another church, and they were wounded. So they scamper away like a wounded animal, and they remain wounded. But listen, as I've encouraged us over and over and over and over, we all can have our sad stories, and we all do have our sad stories, but we are called to live beyond Our woundings we are called to live in Christ victoriously. We're not defined by who we are, by our wounds, or even by what we're going through today. Or what we will face tomorrow. We must learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that's begun this work in us. He is the one who is going to complete it. And that should be of great encouragement to the body of Christ, especially when we're living in the times in which we are living. The world is chaotic. It's growing more and more chaotic by the day, by the moment, by the hour. That's why the church is not to be running around as if she has no hope, No, the church should be ready, prepared. Our Lord is returning. We know all of these things have to take place because He is returning and we are to be preparing for Him. We ought to know how to react in all the different situations that are happening because we're trusting in Christ, we're hoping in Christ, we see it through a different lens. We're walking by faith and not by sight. When I think about our brothers and sisters this morning over in Afghanistan, as I was sharing with Carrie earlier, Afghanistan is a hotbed right now. The Taliban um, is running among these terrorists. And letters were sent to the house church network that's within Afghanistan yesterday or the day before. And they were threatened. The Taliban told them, we know who you are, we know the network that you belong to, and we're coming for you. Could you imagine being Christians right now in Afghanistan, being pastors or or, or leaders of, of the house church network over there, receiving such a threat from these brutal murderers, and yet the pastors collectively said in their statement back to the Taliban, we are not leaving. Knowing good and well what's ahead of them. I mean, come on you all. And I keep telling us over here in the West, we crumble if our if our if our lights don't get paid. <laughs> or if, we're missing, if we don't get this, or we don't get that, then our faith is shaken to the core. It ought not to be. We, we ought to be growing in our faith. We are we to allow adversity to strengthen us. Not make us turn and run the other way. Not to make us crumble and, and pour me and pour me. We make it about me, myself, and I. My poor life, my poor family, my poor this, and my poor that. Do you know your God? Are you trusting and hoping in Jesus? Times are getting tougher, the world is getting darker, the enemy is running amok because he knows his time is near. And we as the church, as the body of Christ, we are seated in Christ. We're not praying and living from a place of defeat. No, we're praying and living from a place of victory. His victory. We will endure. We will go through. But oh, that the light of Christ shine so that others, so that others may come to know the hope that you have in Christ. You're not to remain the same. Your Christian life is is, about, is to be producing within your life the fruit of the Spirit. The hope of Christ. You are to be His image bearer. You have died to the old man to the old woman. It's a daily death. And you're alive in Christ. And repentance again is vital. We understand from the scripture in which we've read. That worldly sorrow does not produce repentance. It just, it just produces death. But godly sorrow. Like oh God. Oh, I'm here again. Oh, God, forgive me. And it's a genuine sorrow. It's a genuine like, oh, God. I'm sorry for the way I'm thinking, for the way I'm acting, for the things I'm going towards, for the stuff and those that I've given myself to. It's recognizing When the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. It's taking every thought captive. Bringing it into the obedience of his lordship. It's allowing him to be Lord of our lives. We recognize and we can declare as the disciples declared. No, we're not leaving you, God. Jesus, where else can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. And so we don't allow ourselves to be wrapped up in shame and condemnation and guilt. We're not walking around us where the poor Christians can't do anything right. No, we know good and well how we would live apart from Christ. We know how we would act, what we would think, how we would try to manipulate situations. We know what we can do in our rebellion. The question is, do you know... (laughs) who He is, and what He can do through you, through His victory. To live a life honoring Christ, trusting Christ, loving Christ. Go to Romans is where we're going to park ourselves today. Some of these scriptures we've read before. Some may be new to you, hopefully not. But Romans chapter 2 is where we're heading, verse 1 through 8. Oh, may the reading of the word of God encourage us. May our eyes be open and our hearts be of good soil to receive. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. Here we see yet again, scriptures that have been held out to us before God's judgment of sin. Paul writes to the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you may think you can condemn such people, In chapter 1, we've read, if you've read, and we've read it before together, God's anger at sin and those who continue to sin. And so now we take our focus off of them, and now we're placing it on us. And so Paul says to the church, You may think you condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone. Anyone. Circle that. Highlight that. Anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things Why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Again, he's talking to the church. The church is so quick to point her finger and yet not deal with her own sins. We're not to judge the outside. The Bible teaches us the lost, (laughs) but we ought to judge each other. Sin is not to be running rampant in the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is to be set apart. She's to be holy. And we understand that the tare the and the wheat's growing together. We understand that there's wolves among us. We understand the religious find themselves among us. But the true bride, the bride of Christ, is to be about her father's business. She's to be about preparing for her groom's return. She's been born again of another nature. And so Paul is addressing what's going on in the church. You're holding a form of religion. In your secret, in your darkness, in your rooms behind closed doors, you're doing the very same thing that the world is doing. And you think because you're hiding it, and you show up for church, and maybe you're not even hiding it. Maybe you just carry that bad attitude, rather you're in church or you're home. But the sad thing is, is somehow, some way, people are sitting in churches. thinking that they're right with God. And look how horrible the world is. And yet they're no different from the world because they're allowing sin to master them. And as Christians, as the church, we're not to allow sin to be our master. And so Paul is saying here, Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can't avoid God's judgment? When you do the same things, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? or other translations, to lead you to repentance. Do not miss verse 4. You are different if you are a child of God. You have been born again. And in this understanding, you are maturing, you are growing. So don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Sit among the church all you want. Blend in with her. Be busy about church. Be busy about doing. And not busy about Christ. Loving Christ sincerely. And you are storing up a terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Are you seeking that? But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. The Bible says if you know what to do and you don't do it, it is sin. You're sitting in church. You're among the church. You're hearing how you should be living. You're saying you're a Christian and yet you're applying no truth to your life as you depend upon the Holy Spirit and not yourself, like you understand you're storing it up for you, the wrath of God, the punishment of God, because you're not really in the church, you're not of the church, you're just around the church. (laughs) The church, the bride of pride, the true church, She's been born again. She's not perfected until she's with him. But she's seeking him. More and more and more. She doesn't settle to remain the same. She's not feasting off of her vomit. No. She refuses to be chained to her past. She refuses to be enticed by temporalness because she knows she's called for greatness in Christ. This is the bride of Christ. This is the true bride, the church of Christ. Don't be fooled. You know the condition of your heart. He knows the condition of your heart. It's all or nothing, you all. Jesus says, "You're either for me or you're against me." Romans chapter three, verse 10 through 20. All peoples, all people are sinners. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That is the purpose of the law. We in and of ourselves cannot keep it. We in and of ourselves constantly go against it. We are law breakers by our very nature. Because all of us are born into sin. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ, came and paid our punishment and through him we can be born again of a new nature. We do not have to continue to be bound by sin. This is the good news, you all. We move on to chapter 3, verse 21 through 31. Christ took our punishment. So we recognize and we see in and of ourselves there's no good thing. We are lawbreakers. We are sinners. We are in rebellion towards God. But when your eyes have been opened, when God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, when you understand his loving kindness, his tender mercies, the grace that has been extended to you through God, your creator, you can't help but humble yourself before him and receive Freely what he desires to give you. Love. Love. Above all. Love. His love endures. And I challenge this throughout the years. Why on earth would we deny his love and choose his wrath? Why on earth would we choose that? But Christ came. The good news. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. You see, thank God we just didn't stop and leave it there at verse 20. Here is the hope. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. Without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Look at this, verse 22 and verse 23. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are, no matter what we've done God knows our condition. The Bible tells us He loves us, yet though we were in complete rebellion towards Him. And His love for us provides a way to be restored back to Him. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in the sight or in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And that's all you have to do is believe. And in your belief, that leads you to repentance. That's what I keep telling you. If you're a child of God, and even if you're not a child of God, and God is awakening you and drawing you to himself, it's not about religious works. It's not about cleaning yourself up. No, it's just about believing. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is risen from the dead. That belief, that confession, alters and changes your life because you're now born again. You can't come to that knowledge, you can't come to that belief and that confession in your own mind or through your religious works. But, oh, trust me, when that truly is your belief and that is your confession, it alters your very being. You are born again of a new nature. You understand the worth of your soul You understand the value and the price that was paid because He laid His life down for you. And in laying it down, He took it back up. He rose again on the third day. Sin and death are defeated. Verse 26, where He was looking ahead again and including them in what He would do in this present time, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and righteous for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith so we are made right with god through faith not by obeying the law after all is god the god of the jews only isn't he also the god of the gentiles of course he is there's only one god and he makes people right with himself only by faith whether they are jew or gentile well then if we emphasize faith Does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so we don't do away with the law. We recognize now that the law has been fulfilled through Christ. And our position now is in Christ. And our position in Christ comes by faith and belief that He is who He is. And He has accomplished what He has. Let's go to Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25. Struggling with sin. Paul goes on. So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And a lot of Christians, a lot of churches leave it there. And they use this portion of scripture to justify their struggle with sin. As if Paul forgot that he was inspired to write Romans 6. This is a a letter, you all. It's being read together. I know we pause, we stop at different chapters. But Paul in this writing, in these verses, did not undo what he just wrote before these verses. He is explaining something. We must have ears to hear. We must understand what the word is saying and not use it for our benefit to justify our sin and live unrepented lives. Do you understand how many people are sitting here in chapter 7, verse 14 through 24 or 25? They're living there. And somehow they think, I, God's okay with me. Because didn't Paul, under God's inspiration, write this? We must awaken to truth. Did you not hear it? In and of ourselves, we would struggle. In and of ourselves, we would remain slaves to sin. Paul is addressing what every Christian will face. Temptation Desires And in verse 24 Oh how every Christian Have in and of themselves said this Oh what a miserable person I am Who will free me from this life That is dominated by Sin and death And thank God for the answer Don't miss out Verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see, it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Oh, but don't miss this, Christian. Verse chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, here's your answer. Here's your freedom for chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. A way of life that you don't have to be bound by sin. Bound to condemnation and shame and this weird game that we play. Justifying our struggles. Justifying our sin. No, it says, and because you belong to him, the power of... Of the life-giving Spirit has set you free. He has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness of our sinful nature. So if you're living by the law, if, if you're trying in your own strength to do what is right, to master sin, no, sin is going to master you. But if you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, if you've been born again, you have the Spirit of God in you. So the Spirit of God, by His power, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God, oh God, look at this, did what the law could not do. If we were still bound by the law, then the struggle would remain. But because of Christ, because of the power of the Spirit of God, so God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in body, like the bodies we sinners had, and in that body, God declared an end. Please circle that. Please highlight that. To sin's control over us mm. by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Amen. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. All mm. oh, the church ought to rejoice. Yes. The church ought to rejoice to see a repentant life. The understanding how vital repentance is. Not justifying and excusing our struggle. Oh, are you going to have seasons of testing, of trials, of struggles, of temptation? Oh, yes. But the Bible tells us very clear. Don't make it about your struggle. Make it about Christ. We're to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We have to push on. We have to press forward. We have to take thoughts captive. We have to believe in whom our captain is. The one who has called us, who has enlisted us into his army. And good soldiers, as we've read before, do not get entangled with the world. You have to know your identity as you know Him. And there is a way in which you live that honors Him. God, we focus too much on our struggles. And not on our Christ. I'm not dismissing the struggle. But I'm not going to sit with you and let your struggle become your Christ. Because it will never free you. That's why I always tell you, if you've been around me long enough, one thing, if you start with me, well, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm quick to remind you, that is the problem. You're trying. Trust me, I know it. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried for many years. (laughs) It's exhausting. The struggle is exhausting. When you're trapped in verse 14 through 23, Of chapter 7. And that is what your Christian life is to you. You don't know Christ. You just know the law. You just know religion. But trust me. There is freedom in Christ. And if there wasn't. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. And we ought not to be following him. Oh we better wake up. The hope that we have in Christ of what He has accomplished for us. Did you, did you hear it in chapter 8? So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. and that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Do you understand? When we line up with the enemy, when we begin to to teach what we have learned of God and our teacher is Satan, what we follow and what we teach is not true. And so it keeps people enslaved. Do you understand the mockery that Satan and religious people are doing to our God? When we just go along with people justifying their sin justifying their struggle justifying, oh it's okay God loves you, doesn't He? Oh God doesn't mind. And I see these churches who have these signs posted all out front of their church as if they are embracing everything and anyone and all types of sin. It's okay here. Come on in. It's basically what they're saying. And it's not that sinners don't come to church. Oh, they ought to come to church. They ought to hear the truth though. We want to invite sinners in we're not going to dumb down our the message of our Christ no we want to let them know the hope that we found in Christ and if the sinners on the outside or inside are looking at us who say we are Christians followers of Christ and our lives are no different then what's the point of your Christ what's the point of him then when the Bible tells us He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Your Christian life, your born-again life is of the Spirit. And you ought to be walking by the Spirit and in the Spirit so you're not gratifying the desires of your flesh. And you're just not to walk in the Spirit on Sunday mornings. It's every day. It's every hour. It's every moment. But you'll hear people, oh, that's just to the extreme. You're extreme in your faith. Surely that's not what God calls us to do because he understands our weakness. How foolish to listen to the enemy teach you about God. I've always told you, when you hear the word Preached and it doesn't (laughs) encourage you to know of freedom in Christ, but it just gives you the right to live for yourself. You're hearing deception. The enemy knows the word. Don't be shocked that the enemy uses scripture, he knows how to turn it and twist it to keep you bound. And yet it's purpose to set you free from the beginning. Did God really say? And that's been his same chant through the ages. Did God really say? I told you, if there's no freedom in Christ, if there's no hope of freedom, then he's a liar. And he's a lunatic. And we ought not to follow him. Just go do what you want to do and live how you want to live. Run amok. But I choose to believe that he's God. And that his living word, his word, gives us a clear understanding of who he is and what he has done, how he has set us free. So if you're struggling today, Would you hear the hope that is set before you in Christ? Would you reach out to me and let me know that you're struggling? Would you just confess it unto Christ first and foremost? And then reach out and find hope that is in Christ that you can apply and begin to understand what it means to apply truth to your life. So that you may live and not die. So that you experience the peace of God, not the wrath of God. We're still in chapter 8. We're going to verse 17. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. you understand how you're going to be maturing? Stop thinking about sinful things and start allowing your mind to be transformed so you can start thinking about what pleases The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Bible tells us you're not to be living lives that grieve Him. And you will grieve Him if you're not thinking upon what pleases Him. You see, that's how you're to be living now. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace Do you see what you're to be sharing with others? Not going out there, beating them over the head with the Bible, telling them they have have to live this way and that way, and this way and that way, and making it about the law, because the law just leads them to the struggle. And they hear no hope. Could you imagine if you went forth today and this week and lived what we're hearing? Thinking about what pleases the spirit, the hope that is found in Christ, and all that He has accomplished for us. Could you imagine just kicking out down your front door and just walking out among the culture, with your head up, with hope in Christ, where you're able to share with them? For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. And it never will. You're just exhausting yourself being religious. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But, oh, thank God for hope. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. There's no right around it. There's there's no way around it. (laughs) You're either of the Spirit, you're either born again or you're not. You're either thinking about what is pleasing the Spirit or you're only thinking about yourself. Me, myself, and I. My poor life. My poor this. My poor woundings. My poor past. My this. My that. My future. And you're feasting off the flesh. You're feasting off that which is decaying. Which is dying. Could you Imagine if you would just live for Christ. Trust in Christ. Hope in Christ. Knowing that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. God himself in you. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ. From Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Listen to that good news. Oh, do you see your Christian life this way? Or are we just just showing up for church, clicking on to, to, to watch it on, 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 on the computer? Or not even just showing up at all. Just drop it in when you can. When it's convenient for you, you make your Christian life convenient. When it's convenient for you, that's not the Christian life. Don't fool yourself. It's an all-out war for your soul. And you make your Christian life about your convenience. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And you're doing it all in your own strength. But you'll be the first to cry out to God or curse God if things don't go your way. Expecting God just to move on your behalf. Listen, we better really get a good understanding of who he is. Because the day and age in which we're living, I've told us for many years now, we can't be church like we've been church. We've got to be Christians, you all. We've got to be the church. We've got to be the body of Christ. Church isn't a place you go. It's who you are. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and He will give life to your mortal bodies by by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power, oh, did we hear that? Through the power of the Spirit who put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you didn't put the death to your deeds. You're not to be suppressing. You're not just to be hiding them. No, no, no. Look at what the Bible tells you. It is the Spirit But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. The world has rejected Christ. Jesus came, the light came into the world, but the world, the created, would rather remain in darkness. That's what I keep telling you as the Bible says. The road to hell is wide. But the road to everlasting life is narrow. And not many people are looking for it. The created would rather remain in darkness and how sad listen it's not easy to come and bear all but I'm telling you it's liberating to be able to live in union with your creator the hope that is found in Christ Not depending on your own self to see what he has begun in you to get it done. No, full reliance on Christ. God, you've begun this work in me. You are faithful to complete it. You're not going to neglect the work of your hands. I am the work of your hands. Father, today, in this hour, this moment, whatever it is, My old nature is screaming, it's taunting, it's longing. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And you begin to draw your strength from Christ upon the Holy Spirit. You begin to put and to practice what you're hearing. You're applying truth. In and of myself, I would be a slave to sin. But because I am of the Spirit, born again, God, Christ, Jesus, the Holy Spirit in me, leads me as as I think on ways to please Him. I'm an overcomer. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am blessed going in and coming out. I'm an heir. I mean, listen, do we understand this? I hate us, I would hate for us to get to the end of this year and God, I pray we all get there and still find ourselves yoked to our dying, decaying nature. How sad. When God is pleased to reveal Himself through His Son Jesus and the freedom that comes abiding in Him. Romans 12. <clears throat> Where we're ending our time in Romans today. Romans 12, verse 1 through 21. A living sacrifice to God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself by faith, by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. Oh, how I pray that as the body of Christ, we would understand the importance of understanding how we are connected to each other and how we are to be doing this together as Christ is leading and the Spirit is empowering us. We're not to think of ourselves more than we ought to, highly of ourselves. We ought to have an honest estimation of how and we're growing. We ought, to be, we ought to be open and transparent about what is going on in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds. We're in this because of Christ, for Christ, for the glory of God. And so we to be living differently. Take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and kind and I'm sorry and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And finally, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing Good. Amen. This is how we're to be living. The victory that is found in Christ. Through Christ. Not to remain a slave to sin. Again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. First John tells us, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember, give thought to. Remember, give thought to. Christ. So don't remain in your sin. Don't justify your sin. Don't excuse your struggle. Repent. Throw it off. Get up. Stop thinking about yourself and start learning how to think. Put into practice giving thought to pleasing the Spirit of God. That's how you're to be growing. That's a victorious life. That's a Christian life. That is the new life as you are born again of the Spirit. And if you're not born again of the Spirit, then oh how I pray today would be the day that you would bow your knee in full confession and repentance and begin to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. It changes you to the very depths of your being. You are born again. We're going to take communion before we walk through the scriptures in 1 Samuel. So if you want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 24, that's where we're heading. Those who may be online watching, I hope you have items for communion. I'm going to play this song as I pass out the elements, but please hold on to them until we take them together. And as the song is being played and sung over us, please allow the Spirit of God to to have full reign and access to your life. Take time to repent. If there's any unconfessed sin, focus and fix your eyes upon Jesus because ultimately we do this As his body in remembrance of him.
1: in our hands just merely as a representation of your broken body Mm. your body that was broken beyond recognition for our sin Mm. there had to be that payment and jesus you truly paid it all and all to you we owe Mm. so we take this today with a grateful heart Mm. in jesus name Amen. amen take
0: the bread go to, would you pray over the
1: cup? Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed by your Son, God. Jesus, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you made for us, so that we may live. And I pray, Lord, that we would remember uh, the cost that you paid for us, that we would live with great and
0: we thank you for your gift, so that we may live in Jesus' name, amen. Take the cup. Amen. amen. Praise God. 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 25. Oh, that we would know our God, that we would be encouraged through the reading of His Word. And as we're walking through Scripture, learning of Him. I pray that you are learning of him and that you're encouraged by all that he has done for us. Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. After Saul's return from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the King! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge what which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else will let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you for your kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize, listen to this, that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. God is your vindicator. Do not take things into your own hands. Trust in God. David was God's king. Saul was the king of the flesh, the people wanted him. But through that, God honored the people's requests and he appointed and anointed Saul as king. Saul did not become king in and of his own strength. He was appointed by God. And David respects God and respects the one in whom God appointed, even though the one that was appointed Was chasing him down. To kill him. David's respect for God. And knowing God. As his advocate. As as the one who would. Vindicate him. Kept him. From killing Saul. And trusting in God. Are you trusting God today you all? Are you being chased down. By the enemy. Mm -hmm. Are you going through a season. Of intense trials. Trust God. He will see you through. He will honor your faithfulness to Him because He is faithful. Call upon Him. Trust in Him. Do not grow weary. Do not act out on the flesh. Take matters into your own hands because nothing good will come from it. Trust me. We all can see the fruit in our lives from the areas of our lives that we in and of ourselves have tried to fix or we overreacted in a moment and has impacted our lives for years no no trust God wait upon him his timing is perfect his timing is right his timing is just chapter 25 now Samuel died and all of Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his I'm sorry, at his house in Ramah. <laughs> then David moved down to the wilderness in Moan. There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal. And his wife, Abigail, was as a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message to Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep-shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you may have on hand with us and with your, with your, with our, with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal and David's name, and they waited for a reply. "'Who is this fellow David?' Nabal sneered to the young man. "'Who does this son of Jesse think he is?' "'There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. "'Should I take my bread and my water and my meat "'that I have slaughtered for my shears "'and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where?' "'So David's young man returned and told him what Nabal has said. "'Get your swords,' was David's reply." As he strapped on his. the 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night they were like a wall of protection. To us and the sheep, you need to know this and figure out what to do. For there is going to be trouble for our master and for his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered two hundred loaves of bread, two wine, two skins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go ahead, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Abel what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me with evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. But I have never... Seen, but I have never, I'm sorry, I, but I never even saw the young man you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you also live since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. Let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even then, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he has promised and has made you leader of Israel, Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for me, please remember me, your servant. Wow. God allowed Abigail to get to David before David took matters into his own hands. And she's reminding him, That, David, your life is not your own. God would take vengeance on your enemies. God has called you for something greater than what you're about to do now, David. Don't act out and complete what you have put thought to. David was on his way. She reminded him, Because once you get to the place that God has for you, David, don't let this act, this foolish act, be what is burdening you. Trust in God, David. God has purposed you. God has promised you that he will take care of you. So David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder, and listen, from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her presence and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the next until dawn the next morning. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later the Lord struck him and he died. The Lord will Protect us and keep us, you all. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult and received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Quickly, quickly, getting ready, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, and went with David's messengers. And so she became his wife. David also... Married Haatham from Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to a man from Gilead named Palti, son of Laish. And we're going to see later that David's choice to marry all these women, he married multiple women and even had um, concubines. God's desire was never for for men to have multiple wives. It was not God's way. But David went the way of the culture in this area. And we're going to see that his decision to do so wreaks havoc in his life. From incest, to rape, to murder. To the kingdom almost being snatched away from him. It's a hot mess. So again, yet we understand... Any decision that is done based out of the flesh, based on the, on the culture around us, and it doesn't honor God, nothing good can come from it. It may seem right in that moment. It may feel right to you in that second. But in the end, nothing good will come from it. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 42. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I, don't, I know them. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me. And He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him, and Jesus said, "At my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one of you, for which one are you going to stone me?" They replied, "We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You are mere man, claiming to be God." And Jesus replied, "It is written in your own scriptures." that God said to certain leaders of, pe- of of the people, I see you are gods, and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's messages were gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, "'Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, "'even if you don't believe me. "'Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, "'and I am in him, and I am in the Father.' "'Once again they tried to arrest him, "'but he got away and left them. "'He went beyond the Jordan River near the place "'where John was first baptizing and stayed there for a while, "'and many followed him. "'John didn't perform mere miraculous signs,' "'they remarked to one another,' But everything he has said, or everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Do you believe in Jesus? These people came seeking. But they were seeking in their own terms. Jesus responded, and they picked up stones to kill him. Listen, not everyone wants to hear truth and truth can always and will always incite others to react badly people would rather remain darkened than come to the light they can seeking but again their hearts wasn't truly of christ for christ they were still all about themselves the law, religious works. God help us. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good He is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and He saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believe in you, so I said. I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. What can I offer the Lord for all He has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all of His people. The Lord cares deeply when His loved ones die. O Lord, I am Your servant. Yes, Your servant born into Your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord and the presence of all of His people and the house of the Lord and the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Oh, would you look up today instead of looking out at your circumstances as the turmoil that may be wreaking havoc in your mind and in your heart. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? Would you know your Lord as the psalmist, as we just heard, knew His God? When you know your God, when you're in fellowship with you, with the Lord, when you're thinking about pleasing the Holy Spirit of God, you can't help but look up and know that He is for you and not against you. Proverbs 15 verse 20 through 21. Sensible children bring joy to their father. Foolish children despise their mother. Foolishness brings joy to those with no sense. A sensible person stays on the right path. May your life be marked as a sensible person that your feet are will remain on the path and may the Lord continue to make all crooked paths straight before you as you look to him. I'm going to close this with this song and then I'll close this in prayer.